but I would say fundamentally down to the core that I'm the same guy that I was when I was 16, 17, 18, driving the gravel roads through Webster County here in, in Iowa, um, listening to music with my, with my buds, literally. Yeah. So the first concert I ever went to was, uh, uh, was September 75 and the Doobie brothers, um, who I learned about through my brother and, and I, I, bought their albums and really loved them really loved them and um what were once vices or now habits album was the most recent album and so black water and and all you know the great tunes on that album so that's the period of time where i got concert and so cool what happened were that there's a we didn't know anybody was playing first you know this is the first concert i mean i'm like okay this is going to be cool uh and this band comes out and it was kind of a Southern rock kind of outfit. And I didn't really, uh, you know, understand their music well enough at the time, but they played a, a good set and they finished with a, with a 10 minute song, which really left, it left a mark on us. And there were four of us that were there, man. I, I'm like, God, these guys, this is great. We, but, and they announced them, but I, it still didn't resonate. Well, it was the group, the outlaws. And, and I, to this day, I didn't listen to them today, but there's hardly a day that goes by. I don't listen to the outlaws or the doobies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Tonight, we are getting off the Bruce train, uh, and we are hitting the court, uh, the basketball court, and we will be talking a little music, and we will talk Bruce because he normally comes up, but uh, I am talking to Ryder coach speaker randy brown tonight randy welcome to the show thanks so much jesse i have been looking forward to this anytime i get a chance to first of all meet somebody new and second of all someone that has uh, the passion that you do for for bruce and for music in general it's it's a joy because i just love talking about music and 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 what it's meant to me in my life it's been phenomenal but um so good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is I, awesome. I am so glad you do it. You know, what's funny is I, I routinely get people who join me and they just um, I go back to the story I, I heard a long time ago, a sports talk show host said, if you talk to Nolan Ryan and ask him about his no hitters, he will give you just the same old answer. But if you ask him about his home runs, his face lights up and he talks and I'm, I get all the time people saying, wow, I, I didn't have to talk about sports. I could talk music or I didn't, you know, <laughs> like this was a change of pace. Yeah. So I am yeah. glad you're here. Uh, so tell us a little about yourself. Well, I'm an Iowan and I grew up uh, in Iowa in a town called Fort Dodge in, in Northwest Iowa. Okay. And w- was really fortunate because 
my father was a sports writer. And so I was in gymnasiums early and often. Okay. And it rubbed up on, rubbed off on me. And about the age of eight, I was at a high school practice. These guys looked nine foot tall. And that day I just, I fell in love with the sport. And of course, as a player first and then a coach, but you know, I'm one of these kind of rare. What I, what my passion was, what I wanted to do at a young age. I mean, that usually doesn't, doesn't happen and um it's just because of the you know i was just fortunate because i was always in that gym and 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 the coach uh they were family friends of ours and so and i saw him and i idolized him and and and, uh but you know my my playing career is uh didn't make the papers but uh but boy i worked at it and uh and and I, i i did play in junior college i played for a couple years after high school, which uh, to me was like playing in the NBA. Cause sure. It, you know, it, you know, I, I had that goal, of course, when I was a young kid, and when you realize you're not going to make it, you can take anything, uh, you know, get anything you can take. So, but, but I loved it. And then shortly after that realized that you could make a living coaching and I love the sport so much that I, I thought it was almost like stealing money. If someone paid me to be in the gym and coach basketball, that's the feeling I had. Um, the profession takes a lot of hits. Uh, yeah. The game itself has taken a lot of hits, but it is the most wonderful game. And I have met the most incredible, genuine um, people in this profession. I was a head coach, but I was also an assistant for, for, uh, for seven coaches too. And mm-hmm. so learned a lot about both sides of it. And, um, you know, with sports like life, you, you, you have games where you make the last, you know, the last second shot and you yeah. win and life, you're so high, you can't believe the feeling and the lowest of the lows. And I've experienced both in my professional and my personal life, which has really driven me to, to do the kind of work that I'm doing now. Um, but everything I do now is a reflection of things I've been through, experiences I've had, I've had both on and off the floor. Yeah. And, and it's just an absolute um, joy for me, even though we, we have some subjects that are pretty tough yeah. uh, to talk about them because people need to hear them. You know, Coach, I appreciate that. A couple of things, follow-up questions. One, I've, you talked about the highs and the lows. I remember Steve Nash the former Maverick and then went on Phoenix Suns and still, Mm -hmm. you know, he is a coach was on the radio when he was a player. And he said in the NBA playoffs, when you win a game, you think you're never going to lose again. And when you lose, you feel like you're never going to win again, you know, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if that was original with him, but it was the first person I've heard it. And my son and I, um, you know, he, he loves Luca. He loves the Mavericks. Yeah. You know, he loved Dirk before retired. And so, you know, he's engaged in this playoffs as we're recording. They're in the middle of a playoffs. And right. he's like, dad, it's just true. Like when you win, you're like, we're unbeatable. And then oh. when you lose, it's like, that's it. That's it. We're never yeah. going to win again. And it yeah. is. And, and I think not to get overly sentimental, but I think that can be life. I think you can, when you have a setback, you could sit there and go, oh my goodness, my life is over. 
And then when something goes well, I'm untouchable. I'm king of the world. Yeah. And, and it, finding that balance really is part of right. the key to not only being successful, to be happy. Well, and that's what a coach is for. You know, right. that's what management is for. Um, th- there's, a, there's a really interesting thing that happens. And it, unless you've been involved in it, it's really kind of hard to understand sometimes with people. But winning is great, but winning can throw you off track. Winning can make you think that I don't need to do those small things like get in the gym and get my 300 shots up before practice because we're winning. Right. Oh, or, or I, I, I'm going to eat a little, a, a, a little less healthy because we're winning. I mean, everything is, I mean, all the colors are bright. Okay. Everything mm-hmm. looks wonderful. When you lose from a player standpoint, it's, it's very difficult. Okay. Um, it's the coach's genius. Those guys that can coach teams that there are, there are coaches that just, if you check their record, they're very rarely will lose two games in a row. Mm-hmm. that's that is so hard to do it's unbelievable well what happens is when you lose at oklahoma state you and know that three nights later you're going to play at kansas yeah but first of all you've got their attention because it's a loss right okay and they you have the i mean they are eyeball to eyeball with you and to me that's the time for the greatest opportunity to coach and to make the adjustments you need to make and get ready for that next game. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you yes. think if you're doing well, that's what you would need to keep doing well. Right. But it's the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. It's just really nuts. And, and to keep, uh, I don't care how old they are. I don't care about gender, but to keep players grounded and locked into, okay, that one's over. Our most important game is our next game. And we have to approach it like champions. You know, and this thing in and, you know, in, in college is different in the NBA because they're professionals and they're getting paid a lot of money. And, and, you know, these guys are college. students, So they get on campus and you can just imagine, you know, how how, you know, blown up they are with with students and even professors and people on campus. And sure, you know, and they're young and they're they're more impressionable than an NBA player would be. And and uh, part of the maturity process. But boy, I tell you what, they walk in that building. They walk. We interesting. It really is an interesting thing that happens. And I, I've learned a lot through that. Um, if you do it right, you know, some coaches are yellers and screamers and they get personal with players when they lose. Hey, those kids aren't trying to lose. They're right. not. I'm telling you, I, um, they're not. But now, did they make mistakes? Yes. But. I, I've yet in all my years, I've yet to see a guy make a mistake on purpose. <laughs> you know, um, that oh, so many things there. I, one, I remember Kevin Pollack was talking about it. And he says, you have to understand no one tries to make a bad movie. Like, you know, we all think everything's working well. The other thing is we were in a meeting once um, and I managed a tech support team. And uh, and someone from a different department said, um, well, I hear your your tech support people are giving the wrong answers. 
And uh, I said, I, I'd, I'd want to know that. Can you give me specifics? No, I've just heard it. I've heard it. And so the note was, you know, tech support should not knowingly give the wrong answer. Right. And I just laughed like, right. Do, do yeah. you actually think that my guy <laughs> would sit there, or my gal would go, well, I don't know if this is the right answer, but I'm just going to lie to yeah. get him off the phone. Yeah, uh, That's just funny. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Why basketball? You know, I one of the questions I ask is I ask people, when did they discover Bruce Springsteen and what about him spoke to you? Mm -hmm. His music spoke to you. And I'm going to get to you in music in a little bit, but I'm going to turn it around a little bit. You've already just told how you discovered basketball, mm -hmm. but why why about it spoke to you so much? Why not football? Why not baseball? You know, what was it about that basketball that kind of push your heartstrings so so i got a couple things i got okay. a couple things that fit number one the ball has air in it and without trying if you just simply drop it out of your hands it's going to bounce back to you it's almost like the ball saying come on you know it's it's like it's your dog you know come on play with me Come on. I, I'm your best friend. I don't know. I, I, I always love the fact that when you bounced it, it came right back to you. Sure. What are you supposed to do, you're supposed to keep bouncing it or you're supposed to keep shooting it. Yeah. A baseball. If you push a baseball into the ground, it's not going to go anywhere. Um, football was different to me. Um, Pistol Pete Maravich said, why would you run around? Um, why would you run around in circles and get tired? And it, you know, it, it, somebody asked him why he didn't go out for track. Mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and and the um the fact that you can go in a, in a gymnasium and be as creative as possible some of my greatest memories of being in the gym alone in the summer times when it was just outrageously hot and just to get in there and, and be creative and i do have a great Maravich story but um and, and so that and then i distinctly remember you know the thing about basketball is there's a goal 
and it's and and, and it's up ten feet or high, however however high your basket is, and you know you can't go in you really can't go in your backyard and play defense defensive football. Right. You can't really okay, but with basketball, it's like a single purpose sport. Really, when you when you learn it, there's a basketball in your hand and there's a hoop up there. Yeah. And when you're young, it's so monumental because you can't get it up there. And you're like, I can't wait till I'm big enough to be able to get that ball up there. Right. And I remember making my first shot. Uh-huh. And, then I, and then I wore it out the rest of the day. I couldn't get enough of it. So I think those two things, they're, those are very fundamental things. But yeah. I do remember those as being pretty, pretty pivotal when I was young. Loved it. Fell in love with it. So uh, I, my dad was in the army. We moved around a lot. Um, but I, I was born in Louisiana. I spent, uh, when my dad retired, my mom moved us back to Louisiana. So I've got to hear your pistol Pete story. <laughs> oh man. My, my dad came home one day and said, do you realize there's a college player scoring almost 50 points a game? And so I would have been, uh, I would have been 12 years old. Yeah. I would have been 11 years old. And I said, first, no way. Nope. You mean their team? No, no, no. This one player does. And I could not, I could not wrap my head around that. And I learned quickly who Pete was, where Louisiana was, what LSU was all about, what his dad, um, where his journey had taken him in coaching, uh, Press Maravich. And you talk about an idol. And at that time, WSB, well, WSB in Atlanta, when he played for the Hawks, that was the first team he played for. Um, That was a ritual. I had the schedule and I listened to all of the Atlanta Hawk games on an old radio. Loved it. And it was so cool because there's no games to watch, right? Right. And and so I'm a big fan and I start collecting all the basketball magazines, cutting the pictures out. And you literally could not. I remember my mom saying, I I don't even know the color of the walls anymore. I can't see the wall because I had picture upon picture, upon picture, upon, I mean, just everywhere. And I could not read enough about him. And I was just so enamored by the fact that you could score that many points, like, sure, you know, and, um, and so I lived through pictures, which is really, which was really cool. You don't do that anymore. I guess you could, but you don't have to. And I lived through pictures, facial expressions, you know, the sweat coming off his face, um, how skinny he was because he just did not look like an athlete at all. Um, I got to be a, um, I, I was 15. So I was a freshman in, uh, in high school. And at that time, uh, the Kings, the, um, yeah, the Kings were the Kansas City Omaha Kings. Okay. Now, this is, this is um, um, yes, Kansas City Omaha Kings. As weird as that seems now for the NBA, they split home games between Omaha and Kansas City. All right. And, and they were playing the Atlanta Hawks on a Sunday. So um, I'm a University of Iowa graduate, and our whole family uh, went to school at University of Iowa, and my dad wrote a, loved writing about them. But the, the Hawks were playing at University of Kansas on a Saturday and Pistol Pete Maravich was playing against Tiny Archibald in the Kansas City Omaha Kings on Sunday. Now, can you imagine that for a 15-year-old kid? Oh, and yes. So, and, and, and so here we go to Lawrence, Kansas, and 
I, I didn't know anything about the mystique until I saw the arena and got inside and it blew me away. Uh, it was so big and just so daunting. And of course, the crowd's different than 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 they are now, but it was still a, such a historic place. And Iowa won the game. And uh, we were in the locker room after the game, which was not uncommon when I'm mm-hmm. with my dad because he goes in there to talk yeah. to all the players. Well, you just head right in the locker room. The next day, we're going to a evening game. And we drove from uh, Lawrence into Kansas City and went to the old, famous old Muehlbach Hotel where presidents used to stay in Kansas okay. City. And it's a half, it, it's about a block from um, a memorial, uh, uh, the, 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 the arena there, uh, old memorial. And so we stay, we, we sit in the lobby at the, um, in the Muehlbach Hotel. But what are we doing? We're waiting for the Atlanta Hawks to walk through because sure. we got, we have nothing to do all day. And my dad, I, man, I'm telling you, it was, we were there a while. And I remember looking up and seeing Lou Hudson, sweet Lou Hudson. And they had come from the arena because they had their, their uniforms on. And I'm telling you, I, my heart sank and I wanted to run out of there so fast because, you know, I talked a good game when, in, in, until, until the rubber hit the road and I about by this time isn't even a a human right he's just some you know he's just some imagined character we make a lot out of out of idols right like they're not even real and the other players walk through and next thing you know the last guy is there he is he's a big dude now he he was six five and obviously lanky but um he just, man, he just looked like he, he could play basketball. Oh my gosh. I never forget. And I sit there and I look at him with my eyes wide open and he walks over to the elevator and there are some, there's about four players over there, high school players. And my dad says, hurry up, get going. I go, what do you mean? What? He goes, get over there with those kids. He goes, see what's going on. But you know, see what pistol Pete has to say. Yeah. Well, the doors open and who, who steps in there is myself and four high school players and yeah. pistol Pete Maravich. And he took us up to the seventh floor and into his room. And I got to sit on the corner of his bed with my mom, sure my mouth wide open and listen yeah. to this guy talk and the wisdom and the, you know, asking about, I'll never forget. He asked how my season was going. I don't know what I uttered, but I mean, I'm in a dream. You can't use, I sure. can't, I just can't imagine this is actually him. And so we're up there a good 20, 25 minutes. We go back down and I'm blown away. We go to the game that night. He didn't play great, but I'll never forget. um, Lou Hudson had 44 for the Hawks and tiny Archibald who led the NBA in assists and scoring that year Mm -hmm. at five, nine left-handed five, nine. Um, he um he had 41 so those guys were just killing it offensively pistol only had 15 he didn't look great but now you imagine doing this these days in 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 those days we we literally they roped that locker room off but then there was a cooling off period and then they said okay press or media you can go in now sure enough we walked right in there and it was the most 
unprofessional looking locker room. I mean, the, it was the old standard lockers and right. there had been humidity in there, obviously. So they're turning rusty and I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And it was small and you got all these huge guys in there with all these media guys. And these guys are, are uh, you know, they're getting their showers and they're getting mm-hmm. ready and stuff. And got a couple guys are smoking cigarettes. A couple guys are drinking beers. <laughs> Just, I'm like, this is crazy. So who's one of the last guys out of the locker room is Maravich. And yeah. so we finally get to talk to him. I, I get to talk to him again, briefly. Yeah. And, and he said, guys, he goes, I got an idea. Cause there were a lot of people, a lot of kids waiting for him. Sure. He goes, and, and he knew the, he knew the geography of the building. He goes, come on, come with me. We'll go this way. So here's Pete Maravich, myself and my father. And we walk out of a, 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 a an easterly facing door and nobody was on that side of the building. And we walked up the street to the Mulebach hotel and my dad intentionally stayed back and just let the two of us have a conversation. I got goosebumps right now. Um, one of the coolest things ever. And we talked about a lot of, a lot of stuff about basketball and how to practice and why it's important to practice and, and how are my school grades and things walk up to the Mulebach and he goes through that door and, he's he's gone he's pistol pete's gone and and he's off and i i didn't see him play again i didn't see him again and um obviously he suffered a, a really unfortunate premature death, um, yes death with a w- with a really weird heart ailment yeah um and he was playing basketball fittingly yeah i can't i mean you, you just couldn't make up a story that meant so much to me and we turn around and I played the next day. We had a, we had a, a eighth grade game or ninth grade game. And so my dad drove from Kansas city all the way back and he went to work at 7am and yeah. I didn't know any of this was going on. I'm in the back sleeping, you know? Sure. And what a thrill for a kid. Holy wow. God. That's awesome. It affected me when he, I was an assistant at Drake university at the time. And I got the word that he had passed away. Mm-hmm. Ooh, man. He yeah. was like a he was like a family member. Yeah, so, I get that. So really cool. Really, That's, really cool. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I always like to go to the beginning. So talk to me about what kind of music did your family listen to when you were growing up? You know, my my dad was my mom always had the radio on WHO Des Moines, you know. Um, but my dad liked jazz. And, and he liked Glenn Miller. And I remember those two for sure. But what was unique about my situation is his brother, my uncle, um, played at all the famous jazz clubs. Mm. He, he played multiple instruments and played jazz clubs. The Red Garter um, was one of them in Chicago. And that's what he did for a living. And he was kind of a recluse. And he collected antiques and he played he played jazz. He played all of the, I mean, trumpet, trombone, cornet, I mean, you name it, washboard. He played, he played them all. And then he would go during part of the year, he would go to new Orleans and play on the river boats. And he was, mm-hmm. he was a band that would, would, would go up and down, you know, and, and play on the river boats. And, and that had an effect on me because I was really interested and, and he, we didn't see him much and he was a bit of a recluse. So I never got much information, but um, I did listen to all the old records as my dad had his records. So that, so that, that's pretty much, and then my dad kind of morphed into, 
I think country a little later. Um, so I, I heard my fill of country music in the car going to, my dad was an outdoor writer also. Okay. So, so, so in the summers, we'd always be going to Minnesota or Canada and then he would write articles about it. Okay. So I, I, I spent plenty of time in the car listening to country too. And I, I said, I'm going to get even one of these days. Cause I don't know how much more of this I can take. And I let him know in no uncertain terms that that wasn't my deal, <laughs> but what the heck, right? When, when you started, you know, getting your own AM clock radio, like many of us, you and I are about the same age. Yeah. You know, what, what kind of music did you start what, drawn to? Like when you're hitting junior high, high school, yeah. finding your own voice. It came from two different places. One, my, my, uh, my brother, Rick, four years, my, uh, um, uh, he's four, yeah yeah four years older than I so by that time he you know he he's older so he's into albums before I'd even see you know my dad had albums but uh, these were cool albums you know yeah and I I remember um uh, Rare Earth and I remember um the Doobie Brothers and I remember Chicago um you know a, a lot of those types of groups um boy that really that 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 really um was part of my you know, first, um, the, the first things that I heard, um, with him. And then of course, um, you know, listening to a, a, a station, AM station out of Des Moines, Iowa, KIOA, and that was a top 40 deal. So it was pretty much top forties. Um, but that rare earth and, and some of that, he, he had some different stuff, which I really appreciated. Um, I didn't know it at the time. So, so there, there were a couple ways that I started to listen and, and got really, you know, got, got, got hooked to it. I couldn't wait till I got my own little, I got a, you know, um, one piece with, with two speakers and a, sure. and a turntable. And that was my stereo. And, uh, you know, when I got old enough to actually have some money to buy my own albums, it kind of went from there, but, um, do you yeah, remember so your first album you bought with your own money? I do. And nobody, nobody, uh, <laughs> Nobody understands this. I don't even understand it. They don't believe it. Actually, I bought that uh, that Olivia Newton-John album where she's standing there and there's trees and grass and stuff and she's in denim. And I don't know. I was probably just really taken with with this, you know, beautiful gal who's a yeah. popular singer at the time. And I got it through that, like that Columbia house where you mail in and they send them to the house. Sure. Absolutely. Yep. And yep. and uh and I got it through that. But shortly after that, uh, we had a uh, record store uh, in our town at the mall. And that became the place where I bought everything and started to, you know, my own collection began in earnest. Yeah. Who are some of uh, who were some of your favorite musicians, bands, and has your taste morphed as you've, you know, gotten older? it's it's got more diverse yes it's got much larger but i would say fundamentally down to the core that i'm the same guy that i was when i was 16 17 18 driving the gravel roads for webster county here in in iowa um listening to music with my with my buds yeah literally yeah so the first concert i ever went to was uh, uh was september 75 and the Doobie Brothers, um, who I learned about through my brother, and and I I bought their albums and really loved them, really loved them. And 
um, what were once vices or now habits album was the most recent album. And so Blackwater and, and all, you know, great tunes on that album. So that's the period of time where I got concert and so cool. What happened were there's a, we didn't know anybody was playing first, you know, this is the first concert. I mean, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is going to be cool. Uh, and this band comes out and it was kind of a Southern rock kind of outfit. And, and I didn't really, uh, you know, understand their music well enough at the time, but they played a, a, a good set and they finished with a, with a 10 minute song, which really left, it left a mark on us. And there were four of us that were there, man. I, I'm like, God, these guys, this is great. We, but, and they announced them, but I, it still didn't resonate. Well, it was the group, the outlaws. Okay. And, and, and I, to this day, I didn't listen to them today, but there's hardly a day that goes by. I don't listen to the outlaws or the doobies. Um, um, and, and, and I, and, and I'll talk about that, that this in a little bit, but I mean, these are guys that I now have got to know. Oh, really? Which, which is really crazy. When I think about the first concert I ever saw those guys, why, those guys walked out on stage and they're playing and they are blowing me away. And years later, I, yeah. Um, their lead guy, Henry Paul. Um, I, 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 let's see, I got my list here. Uh, let's see the outlaws I'm at. Um, so I I'm 11. I, I keep track of everything. You know, this is a coach in me. Yes. I've got a big, big um, poster, thick poster board here that has, I got to update it, but it's got, every every band i've seen how many times i've seen them how many total shows how many artists how many bands uh, it's just oh boy it's, it, it's a stats thing right you're just it's the stats thing yeah yeah it's, it's just it's just giant and you oh that's amazing oh i mean it's big and yeah. i got it alphabetized and i'm i'm right now working through where i saw everybody because i want to be able to while i can still remember right now exactly <laughs> where i saw them yeah okay so, so, and then the doobies come on and that was, that was, Ooh, boy, these are the doobie brothers and sounded just like the doobie brothers that I had fallen in love with. So that's where it started. And then I would say, you know, what became the classic seventies, yeah. um, boy. Um, but it all changed one night in Des Moines, Iowa at veterans Memorial auditorium. When I went to see Ted Nugent for the first time. Okay. Half man, half beast, the loudest thing I had ever heard. And a guy that I thought was either on a massive amount of barbiturates <laughs> or, or he just loved it that much. And uh, fortunately, lo and behold, I find out that it's the latter. Yeah. And, and the guy never did a drug. And who would have known because his facial expressions, his athleticism on the stage his screaming, his playing, his everything was like, and I remember thinking, could you love something enough to put that much energy into a show? Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen anything like it. And it really changed me. Oh, man. Um, but before I saw him for the first time, the last, this is the last part of, of my growing up. And and uh, in learning about rock and roll, and this this is something I wish for everybody, and maybe in different parts of the country, um, you know, everybody had the opportunity to hear something like this, but I don't think so. Yeah. Car can 
had a had a station had a station that was the station they had a program called beaker street okay and it it came on at midnight and i started to listen to beaker street and so i'm listening to bands i've never heard before i'm listening to music i've never heard before and it was album it was album rock is what it was right album album rock and and what they called (laughs) underground rock at, at at the time sure and, and they had, did you listen to Beaker Street? Are you familiar with I, it? I've not of that, but I am familiar with, you know, I was smiling because a uh, couple of, couples in the last, during the pandemic, they, during the really depths of when everything was shut down, yeah. um, Bruce Springsteen started doing DJ sessions oh, where, okay. on E Street Radio where he actually played great songs he you know he played albums or singles yeah, yeah. and told stories about them and yeah. one night um he started at um you know 12 o'clock midnight on east coast time 11 p.m here in dallas and oh the rumors you know randy all over oh he's gonna announce a new album oh it's oh, gonna do and oh, it was man. it was just because he said back in the day, he'd be laying in his bed with there the radio is. under the pillow, yep. listening to that. And so yeah. he did a segment of just night music and everything. Yeah. And so when you telling that story made me Very think of that, cool. because I can remember doing that, too, like putting yeah. your clock radio on yeah. and falling asleep, listening to that. Uh, yes. You know, oh, that's great. The, the, the thing about this was it was so unique because it, it's not top 40. So you're sitting there and I'll never forget listening to a Zeppelin song and then roundabout by yes. And then I, you know, um, I heard stranglehold for the first time on, on that show and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Whoa, where did that come from? So they would play for like 40 minutes without any, any words being said. It would go right from one to another, no commercials, no commentary, no nothing. Now, they always had to give their um, station identification. They always had to do that. And then the guy, Clyde Clifford, he would come in there and and he would, he had a really unique voice, kind of a dark voice, you know, deep voice. He would come in and talk a little bit about, and all he'd say was, you know, that was, that was uh, roundabout uh, with yes, followed by Ted Nugent stranglehold and you would think he fell asleep and they had this weird um uh like space music playing in the background that was kind of the you knew you're at baker street when you were hearing that and then it would go right into and and it's great because they have a following now on facebook and you can actually go back and get the set list from different dates and stuff so i've gone back into 74 and 75 and and read some i go i remember these songs yeah this is so cool and so, oh boy, yeah, that that Beaker Street was crazy good. Um, and I, I gained an appreciation for long songs and instrumental songs, yeah, which I still love to this day. So, did you ever run across? Did you ever pick up a little bit of Bruce Springsteen and or see yep. him perform? Talk to me a little about that. Yeah, and and that, that would have been later. Yeah, and it would have been it probably it would have been in college. Yeah. Uh, so I'm an 81 grad from the University of Iowa. So certainly in high okay. school and college, you're hearing right. you, you, you can't avoid it. Right. Right. I mean, there's no way. 
Um, I thought his name was always unique. So you could always remember the name. Yeah. And, and that he, he always, um, I don't know, his songs were always pretty special because they, they just seem so thoughtful. Yeah. Like, you know, they're just not, and I love a ripping guitar, but they're just not ripping guitars and this and that. And, you know, uh, it, because his songs are, oh man, they're, they're, uh, uh, it's a science project to get through some of those songs. I mean, try to yeah. figure out what he, where he's coming from and what he's saying is very yeah. thoughtful. And so, and so that kind of, that, that kind of hit me, but, and then he got big and, and, you know, he would tour through Iowa and, but I didn't see him. I didn't see him. Yeah. I guess he, he might've just been right on the cusp of where I was with, with who I really liked, let's say my yeah. favorite bands. Sure. He was probably on that next cusp and yeah. it's probably a, probably a geography thing. Sure. Uh, um, although I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I have got, there are a lot of people that I know that are from this town uh, it, alone that are dyed in the wool. Um, my brother-in-law is probably Jimmy George. Jimmy's, J- J- I would rival Jimmy with, with anybody. Yeah. And I mean it. And I know, you know, the, the hardcores. Yes. But, but here's a guy who's broken down every song and he'll bring things to me and say, I'll give you a month. I want you to study this song. Tell me what you think. Things like that, you know, which comes with being a Bruce fan, you know, you yeah. just, <laughs> I learned that through him, but That's he, funny. Boy, he's, he's got quite a bootleg collection, but he studies it and he is, uh, he's got a tremendous, um, Boy, he's got a tremendous heart for Bruce. He should uh, send him my way, and uh, I'll, I'll love to visit with him. That sounds you awesome. You would love to visit. Yeah. There, there's only one Jimmy Jorg. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, you know, it wasn't until, uh, you know, there was this, certainly a familiarity, but there wasn't, it wasn't until I went to Kansas City and saw him with, with Jimmy. Yeah. Um, to where like everything that I knew was true. Um, I, I could, I could see everybody standing and everybody singing every word. And I, yeah. I had not seen that. Right. You know, all the stuff I had seen by that time, which is quite a bit, I had not seen that. And he's up there talking about the food bank of Kansas city and he's joking. And it looked like a bunch of grown-up kids on that stage having a ball playing music. I'll never yes. forget that. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I the, the the people behind us were saying, uh, now in Providence um, last week he opened with so and so, and I'm <laughs> like, this is not your normal deal now, okay? <laughs> and I hadn't seen 500 shows like I have now, or how many ever yeah. it is. I had only seen, you know, probably 30 shows by there, eh, 50 shows by that time, yeah. maybe. And I'm like, wow, that is awesome. They're into it that much. And I was just learning. And uh, and, and Jimmy helped me out a lot. And, and other guys from Fort Dodge um, helped me out a lot in, in learning that it is way more than an album or a song. There's, you know, there's just uh, such allegiance and and devotion involved in and in being a fan of his my goodness you know what's so funny uh randy is i'll run into someone and you know and i've seen bruce 16 times so i'm yeah. not in the but my first show wasn't until 2002 for various oh. reasons grew yeah. up in louisiana and then yeah 
I moved to Dallas in 86. And the, by then the E Street Band, you know, he broke up right afterwards and you're raising kids and, you know, you just didn't have the opportunity. Yeah. And so, um, so when I tell someone, they're like, I can't believe you've seen him this many times. And they, you know, and I have to explain, I said, well, you know, I, I, unlike other artists, like, let's say, um, Billy Joel, you know, I love Billy Joel. Billy Joel's a great performer, yeah. but, you know, there's a pretty good chance that 99% of his set list doesn't change the whole tour. I mean, he, he has yeah. a show, he has a, what he's doing. Uh, you know, um, I remember, um, my wife and I went to see, speaking of country, Brad Paisley, right? Uh -huh. Great show. Wonderful show. Then yeah. the next year we went and Linda's like, it was the same show and it wasn't <laughs> quite, but it was similar. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so, um, yeah. and, and so that's why you go, well, you understand it's a unique experience every time, oh my God. you know, it, it's like, you know, um, other people you know like pearl jam and other bands that they rotate right. it up they do that right yeah right right so yeah. if you had to say top three musicians and I, I know that's not fair but doobie brothers nugent yeah doobies nugent and and the outlaws probably to be honest with yeah. you, i got my top 10 here okay um, please share Okay, so Nugent's one, and, and and a guy you probably that that you don't know of, and he's a he's a blues music, he's a blues guitarist from Austin, Texas, Chris okay. Duarte, and he's okay. as good as there is. Okay. And I've seen Chris probably sixty times, I suppose, okay. um, and we've become good friends. All um, right. Here's another band. Uh, these aren't necessarily, but I'll give you my top three. Yeah. These aren't necessarily as I read them in, in, order, in order. Just yeah. This, this is a country band we used to follow, uh, country rock band we used to follow in college all over the place and just bug the crap out of them. Daisy Dillman Band, they're in the Minnesota Hall of Fame, but they are in my top in my top 10. The Outlaws, nice. Henry Paul, and, and the country group Blackhawk is actually the Outlaws. Okay. It's the, same, it's the same guys. They just go change if they have to. How funny. <laughs> uh kansas uh was was really really impactful to me um growing up um i met a guy kevin kenny from driving and crying so driving and crying out of it uh, out of out of georgia is on there the doobie brothers bob seeger is is he's a michigan guy like nugent yeah. um skinnard was always big and then stevie ray and i never saw stevie ray um i've seen that group right there uh, it says 109 shows probably by now it's probably more like about 125. Yeah. I've seen all those together. Uh, I plan to see Nugent five times this summer. I met 29 with him. Okay. Um, and the reason I don't hear well is because the first 24 shows, I didn't wear earplugs. It's not been since the last five shows I have. Okay. How smart was I? Right. Yeah, we were um, all that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the doobies, and and Ted and, and and probably the outlaws, I would say. That's nice. Um, would, would would be it? Yeah. So um, I I want to go ahead finish your thought. No, no, I just I just wanted to say. Um, in fact, I recently wrote a chapter for a book, and um, 
and the topic was inspiration. And I wrote about, I, and I'll, I'll get you a copy of it. Oh, good. Um, I'd love that. I, I wrote about how music to me was initially it was about guitars and it was about this guy's a rock star and this guy, um, you know, they sold all these albums and Kiss wears makeup and all this stuff. Well, when I started, when I was younger, that that's how I how I perceived it. Music to me is the the biggest ally that we all have. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have a very difficult time in this world speaking to each other. We almost without fail, music has been able to bridge gaps that nothing else can. And this can be age, this can be gender, this can be race. It is phenomenal. Um, and so I wrote about how it isn't that I'm passionate about music. And I was really, I was really mincing words, but, but I wanted to, that, that they asked me if it was more being inspired than anything. And, and so I had to really sit down and think about this. And that's what I came up with. Meaning when I see an artist or I show or I see something online or I, or I go back and I grab an album back here and listen to it, I, it, it will, I will begin to appreciate totally the artist, the music, um, wh where they were in their life at that time. Uh, th th that's why I, I, I just love the history of music because I, I, I love stories of, of um these musicians when they were young and how they grew up and, and, and how they, they molded music into their life and why they wrote the kind of music they did. But I am inspired every day um, by music because music comes from the heart, takes a lot of work. Um, I, I, I've, I've traveled with bands. I, I can vouch for how hard it is out there. Everybody says how hard it is on the road. Go out on the road and 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 hang with some of these guys. And man, I'm you know driving through the night and the whole deal. If that's not if music doesn't inspire you, watch, just watch someone. They will literally do anything to get to that next gig, and then be ready to play a hell of a show. And it's things like that that really. I am so indebted to my father and my brother and and beaker street and all of because you just never know had i not heard that stuff i mean what i'm doing music just something on the radio yeah. you know i can't imagine i can't imagine that world um we, we and, and here's where i'm going with this because i wanted to make sure that i that, that i spoke of this um my my family uh we, we went through some really really difficult things um so I was, I was coaching college basketball all over the country for, for 20 years and in a lot of different places. We moved a lot and, and it's stressful. I and mean, it's one of those things, you know, win enough games uh, or, or go find another school where you can hopefully win enough games. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's pressurized. It's a, it's a tough gig, but I loved it. But we lost a four-year-old daughter in 1992 mm -hmm. um, to, to a rare quick-acting uh, disease. And three years later, almost lost on her deathbed, um, our, our second oldest, Claire. She mm. made it through with the same quick acting disease. Three years after that, um, we 
we suffered a, another death in our family and uh, our third daughter, a four year old uh, daughter mm. to the same disease. So as we're going through all this, and this is why I know I'm inspired. I, I lost, I, I lost flavor for everything. Uh, my marriage, um, I probably faked it around my kids and my family uh, because I had to keep them going, but anything else that held uh, joy in my life no longer held joy except for one thing and that was music and and i was in a really really dark place and i didn't trust myself at the time um it's after our second daughter died and and i would walk the same path every day with a chris duarte cassette tape in a yellow sony walkman and I don't know why, but for almost a year, that's the only thing I listened to is that same bootleg, that yeah. same 90 minute bootleg. I don't know why, but I've told Chris many, many times, man, that you, you, you kept me going because I don't know what would have happened. And to think that music could actually keep, the, you know, the, 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 the last strands of, of my mind and my life together, keep them held together because it's music means it's it's inspiration isn't even a word i mean it's so far beyond that but isn't that just kind of nuts how how of all the things that i could have done not to say that i i wasn't talking to other people and in communication with people who could help and through through tragedy and stuff no we were but when it got down to it i, I mean i had it was my friend it was my friend you know and, randy when um couple things one um one of the reasons i do this show and and i talk about the magic and the power of rock and roll and um i've had stories i've had um a writer talked about he and his wife had a premature daughter and he uh she was the girl born too soon and um and he read Harry Potter to her and he played Bob Seger and Bruce Springsteen songs all the time. And, um, and she, you know, she's now when Bruce was doing his book signings, she actually got to go. And this oh. a funny story. They asked the little girl, did you get to talk to Bruce very long? And she said, no, are you sad? No, he knows me. He wrote me all those songs. <laughs> and then one of my oh, other favorite so precious yeah and then one of my other my favorite stories <laughs> is um there was a there was a young man um uh, his mother was hit by a car when he was in the womb and so he was born with severe disabilities and like at three or four years old he'd never spoken just really inattentive and they happened to be in the car and a Springsteen song came on and he started nodding his head. And so she went back home, found every Springsteen album she had and started playing it. And so um, he, when Springsteen went to New Zealand, they actually, I helped I, a very slight part. I had her on her story there was a newspaper doing it. And so um, 
he got to meet Bruce and um, and he speaks, he reads his sight words for Bruce Springsteen lyrics on closed caption. He would watch Springsteen music and hear, and that's how he learned to read. That's how oh. he learned to speak. And so I asked her, I said, do you think, you know, Stephen was happy? And she goes, I hope he was, but I don't know if he was till Bruce. I said, so Bruce literally gave your son voice and joy in his life. And she goes, yes. And so when I hear your story, story. right, like you would have almost said, oh, well, of course, Coach Brown is going to say the only time he was happy is in when he was on a court bouncing a basketball or watching kids play. That's when he got away from it. And no, as much as you love basketball, as much as this has been a, your passion in your life, it was music. It was music that comforted you and yeah. got you through it. I think yeah. that's just beautiful. Yeah. And it remains that way today. It's, um, you know, you know, you're into music, Jesse, when, when you wiggle your way into stagehand work, which yes. I did 10 years ago. <laughs> And the first show I worked was Skinner. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, and I didn't do it to make money and I didn't do it because I was interested in the craft. I could get closer to the stage. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been working as a stagehand for 10 years. Um, some of the big concerts at, at, at arenas, but, but a lot of festivals. And, and uh, in fact, um, I'm going this fall in September to Asbury Park to work at the see here now um festival that's right on the beach yeah um that that has become pretty uh, uh pretty famous and i i have actually met um some of the pe- people over at uh, danny clench's studio yeah um, the gallery over there yeah and uh, met some of those folks and that was really cool and you get to see some really awesome bruce pictures those are in some there. beautiful yes they are yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, uh, that, that's that awesome. was that was just last fall. So that was a, okay. that was neat. And then I, I got to know these folks and they said, hey, would you like to come and, and, and work for us at the festival? So it's going to be a blast. That's going to be so great. That is awesome. Yeah. So obviously I went to the pony and, and you know, yeah. the whole deal trying to do all my brew stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, so um, I know you you took a lot of your the angst and the the struggles your family did and you you wrote a book so talk a little bit about that coach yeah it it was something that i i I just felt i needed to get it out yeah and and fortunately uh my father and my brother uh both were uh state national award-winning sports writers and so there, there is some, there's some, uh, journalism in the genes and, okay. and I got just enough to be able to, to, to pen paragraphs together. And, and I just wanted to, uh, for a couple of reasons, one, I wanted to get it out of me. I just felt it was in there and need to get it out, get out. And, and then the other thing was, I was hopeful that through, the, through the stories of some of the things I had been through that it, it could help other people. You sure. know, when you lose a child, the first thing you think is, I have no idea what to do. Well, we right. don't because 
that's just, it's not a college course. You know, nobody prepares us for that. We get prepared for tough times, sort of, but not that specifically. And so I think there are parts in the book that, that people can resonate with. I say it's either happened to them, they're going through it now, or they will at some time in their life. You know, when we're young, we don't know what adversity is. I remember right. my grandmother passed and I, man, that just bolted me to the floor. I'm like, right. what's going on? And then it started and we didn't know. I mean, we didn't know all the adversity that was going to be ahead of us, but we have to learn how to, you know, how to properly deal with it. Sometimes I have, and sometimes I haven't. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm proud of the book. It, um, I, I, I know that it's helping people. I don't, uh, people ask me how many copies it sold. I couldn't tell you. I turned it over to Amazon and let them do that part of the, the commerce. I judge the book on the, on the feedback that I get from people. And it's usually uh, emails that, that people send me once they've, they've read it. And, and coach, what's the name of the book? It's called Rebound Forward, uh, Rebound from Life's Most Devastating Losses and Stay in the Game. Nice. And, and it's, it, it's really what I do right now. So, so I'm a speaker now, uh, a, a, an author, a coach, as you said, I, I'm, I'm the kind of coach that's not on the sideline. I, I coach people uh, individually yeah. and, and in groups, um, very active in social media and, uh, and audio, um, all, all of our audio, our clubhouses and, and fireside and, and uh, wisdom. Uh, in, involved in those just to spread that word. I don't want people to feel like, like they're alone only if they choose to, because you, you should never be alone going through something like that. And um, yeah, so rebound is really important to me. And it's not, a, it's actually is not a basketball title. It's about getting up. Yeah. That's the rebound that I, I speak of. Sure. And, 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 and what I, what I tell people is, listen, you have a choice. All right. So much of our, our life, we don't have a choice. This, in this, you have a choice. You can quit and give up. Um, and we, we, have a, we have kind of a scary suicidal trend going on right now in our world. I know a yes. lot of probably pandemic, you know, backlash or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure they'll figure it out with your research through the years. But, it, you know, so you have that. You have that element that just said, I want to deal with this. But then you have that middle element. Jesse, that I see a lot, and it's people that get up. They actually do rebound. They get up, but they don't go anywhere, and they stand there, and the whole rest of their life just goes right by them. They're there. They're going to work, but they kind of have that look in their eye like, I, no, this is as good as I'm willing to, to do. Yeah. Then you have rebound forward, and, and I, I just – I pray for rebound forward for everybody in this world when they, when they do hit all, we're not just talking about losing family members. We're talking about a lot of different things. Um, We make some of our worst decisions in the throes of adversity because we're hurting and we're pissed off and we're angry and we don't get it. And we're asking why, and there are no answers to why. But if we can rebound forward, which means we're going from a survival mode to a thrive mode. And I, I'm in a period of my life, I'm 64. And as great as those uh, beating Kansas five straight times and, and playing in the elite eight game with Michigan state and coming that far from going to the final four and maybe winning the whole thing, they pale in comparison to, um, to what I'm feeling and seeing now about my purpose 
which is very clear to me now. It's that I've taken the, 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 the whole catalog of, of my life, all the pain that went with it, all the great stuff wrapped it all together. And I know that I've got a gift for people. And if I put it in my pocket and I leave this earth one day with it still in my pocket, shame on me. Yeah. It's I a see. gift that can, I, I can, I can change lives. They won't, they might not remember who told them that something they might, I have five R's that I give that are part of my presentation. And those are response, respond, or excuse me. Um, um, uh, response, <laughs> uh, response, reinvent, resilience, redemption, and reward. And then I, and then I plug in my stories into those five sure. and it's the way that I got through what I got through. Not until I went back and I looked, how in the heck did, wow, whoa, whoa, what happened there? Yeah. How did I get through this stuff? And I, so I've got it down to those reflection as the first one. I've got it down to those five and, 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 and that's how I pass on this gift to people and they can do with it what they want, but boy, I'll tell you what, um, we are not meant to grieve alone. We are not meant to go through life alone. And we've got to reach out. If it's one person, it's one person. If it's a whole covey of people, that's awesome too. Mm-hmm. But boy, I'll tell you what, life can be so brutal. We are, I don't think we were created to handle it um, nearly the way that um, the way that we do. And so I hope to just pass as many gifts out to people as possible. And, 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 and along the way, I, I jump in my 35 foot Winnebago um, motor coach and I go watch music. <laughs> nice. Very I'm nice. Gonna, I'm going to send you some pictures um, oh, on the back do. end of this because uh, it's, it's my own personal rock and roll hall of fame. Okay. Um, Rob, Robin Zander has stayed in it um, uh, from cheap trick. Uh, Brett Michael's going to be in it um, at a, at a, at a festival this year. Um, and, and, a handful of bands have, have been in there and hung out in there. And I've driven three bands to gigs too in it. That's so, greatness. That is so good. Anyway, I, yeah. Um, rebound forward. Uh, help me in, man. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Uh, reminder, the name of the book, Rebound Forward, Rebound from Life's Most Devastating Losses and Stay in the Game. Correct. Uh, I see it there on Amazon. It's available in paperback. It's available on Kindle. Um, check it out. All right. So back to music. Has there any, is there a band you haven't seen perform live that's still on your wish list? (laughs) Oh goodness. Do I have a list? So I have two things. This is my schedule. These are potential shows. Yes. By uh, for the next eight months by day. And then this is, and you can't, I've got bad handwriting. There are probably, Jesse, 11 pages here with names from top to bottom and front to back and highlighted. Yeah. And so I have a, yeah, I have a to-go. I mean, I, I saw the Foo Fighters um, three years ago. That, that had been on my list for a while. I love bands. I always say bands that nobody's heard of. Yeah. Um, that, that is a real 
that is a, it's like an Easter egg hunt for me. Yeah. It's like recruiting. I remember recruiting players that I hadn't seen a lot, but I had heard a lot about, and I finally got to go see them. And it was just like opening a Christmas present. It's the same thing. Um, I have so many, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't read these, but um, I would say that, I mean, there's probably, I think I have 40 on a list. Okay. Um, you know, I never saw, and I, 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 I'm not, I don't have to see everybody, but yeah. I did, you know, I never saw Zeppelin. Yeah. I never saw the original Skinner act, which was, man, it was right down the road and I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, I was working at Marquette university in Milwaukee it, when, when, and, and did not go to Stevie Ray's last show wow. and lived right there in Milwaukee, you know, things like that. And you can't see them all, but, but, um, um, I have seen the stones. I want to see them again. I have, um, I'll tell you, uh, I love to network and I love musicians and I love music. I've got to know some of the coolest people. I got to know a, a, a fella, um, uh, who, who's working, who is, uh, Ron Woods, uh, guitar tech. Oh, nice. And he worked years with Joe Perry and, mm-hmm. and, and did tours with Angus Young. Oh, nice. So, so he's good at his craft, right? Yeah, exactly. But he's working. He he told me that he was on the Bon Jovi tour, and he told me the other day that he's he's heading out to work with Ron Wood. So being in touch with guys like that is really cool. And then the last guy, and I can't not I cannot um, talk about Kenny Aronoff. I didn't know Kenny Aronoff when I learned he was at a speaking engagement, one of the top 100 rock drummers of all time, and and I met Kenny. Uh, we talked for 15 minutes. We really hit it off. He spoke and played his drums that night at this event. And he is the most humble, the nicest guy. And he's, he'll call up and say, I'm on the Hendrix, um, on, on the Hendrix experience. I'm in Milwaukee. You got to come up here. You got to come up to the show. I mean, this guy, he's appeared on 290 million albums. Wow. Yes. He's one of the great session drummers of all time. I met him at an, at an outing and in 15 minutes, we became fast friends and, and there's not anybody that Kenny doesn't know. I bet. Me. And man, he's, he's been a blast, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I want to see, I want to see my top 10 as much as I can. You sure. know, we're all getting old. Unfortunately, you know, these, th- these uh, rock guys that we've listened to yes, forever. It is. Getting old yes. too. Yeah. And it's tough, but it is tough. It's part of the deal, right? We're all us Eastry Nation are holding our breaths, hoping that we get yeah. the Eastry band again in uh, 2023. Yeah. It's yep. been too long since Bruce yeah, has been has. out there. I know he's ready to get out there. Right. Um, God, this has been so much fun. Um, I just have had a blast. Uh, before I end this, um, any final thoughts, Coach? Yes. Here's my final thought. If music soothes your soul, listen to music. If you find yourself not being a real fan of being on this earth much longer, turn on some music. But I plead with you, call a trusted friend. And speak the truth and tell them what's going through your mind and your heart because it isn't worth it. 
It can't be. There are people in this world that love you. There are people that need you. Uh, between music and others, um, it, 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 can, it can make the biggest difference in your life. That's what I would say. Well said, sir. Well said. Um, this has been amazing. I, 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 I now want to have you here, you know, once a month, just us to visit. <laughs> um, so if you are a, fran- a fan of Randy's you've attended um, let's say you're one of his you know one of his rock buddies Uh, thank you for listening Um, I end every episode with the Mary question Uh, Jay Armstrong who is an uh, recently retired honors English teacher speaking of he is fighting a disease and so he's had to retire just wrote a book uh, bedtime stories for the living and but he would take his honors English class, and they would spend two days breaking apart Thunder Road. Wow. They would look at every lyric. They would talk (laughs) about the themes. They would compare it to Robert Frost. And at the end of the day, he would say, does Mary get in the car? So coach, does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I know you're famous for this. This is, this is really cool. I've been on a lot of podcasts. I've never had one end like this. If you think about this guy and you think about the, the pull that he has on people and the effect that he's had on people, let alone the, 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 the fact that, that he's with Mary, there is no way in the world she doesn't get in that car. Very I mean, nice. who could turn down Bruce in that moment? I just can't imagine it. Very nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, have, you, uh, have you checked out Bruce's last album, Letter to You? Yes. Uh, I, I have, and I, I casually listened to all of it, but there is a song. Well, once again, Jimmy sent yeah. me a song and, and I listened to it and it has such a personal touch to it for me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's about losing somebody too early. Um, and I, and I can't give you the, in, in, in this moment, I can't give it to you specifically, but yes, there's one song I've listened to over and over and you, you know, which one it is. I'll see you in my dreams where all summers have come to an end. I'll see you in my dreams where we'll meet and live and love again. I'll see you in my dreams. Yep. A rub around the river bend for death is not the end. And I'll see you in my dreams. Yeah, I had that up. I, I have because I was like, I wonder if he's listened to this. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to end this podcast quoting that lyric. And this was not a we had not talked about this before, no. but it's true. No. Yeah, it's it an, is. That, that's an emotional song for me. Yeah, I, I can see that. I appreciate yeah. it. But uplifting, too. Yes, uplifting. it is. Uh, you know, I think the album and, uh, you know, I I needed that album because You know, it came at the end of 2020. We had had so much strife in this nation and the pandemic. And to see that a 70-year-old Bruce with the E Street Band still making music, still having fun, it just, it it brought joy to my heart. The the documentary that that, that came out most recently, that was of them making that album, correct? Yes, it was, yes. That was so well done. It was. You felt like you were in the band, didn't you? You did. It was, it was amazing. So cool. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, uh, Pete, yes. I, I, want, I want to add one last Bruce thing. Please. So 
here's another guy I've got to know that I wanted to see play a guy named yeah. Matt, Matt O'Ree and okay. Matt's from Jersey and he's a okay. blues player. He's a phenomenal player, great musician. Okay. And so he, <laughs> I, and I can't remember how it worked out, but Bruce's son was taking lessons, got guitar lessons from okay. Matt O'Ree. Oh, nice. Yeah. And because uh, he would come over and do it at the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he goes, yeah, it was kind of freaky. You know, he, you know, you're going to his house, you know, yeah. but you don't see him, but you know, he's there. Yeah. And, and, and so, so he's walking out one day after the lesson and, and Bruce is there. And so he gets to, you know, meet him and they talk and, uh, and, and, and the silver lining and all that was, that uh bruce did a uh they they co um sang a song oh uh, fun. in fact in fact did bruce write the song check out matt o'ree because they did a song together okay. it's a great song okay yeah well um you For life of me i can't i can't come up with the name of the song right now matt wouldn't be happy about that yeah um i oh, i a good song and it but came I, from just, but just running into him, leaving the house one day. <laughs> well, you would, you would assume that um, this guy's pretty good. If Springsteen's hiring him to teach his kid how to play guitar for all the right? guitar I mean, players he knows. Yeah. Right. I mean, you would just think that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, Randy, this is a blast. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. Continued you, success. Jesse. Hopefully we'll meet sometime on the road at a show. That'd be awesome, man. Yeah. And uh, if yeah. you're ever, I know you tour and do speaking arrangements. So if you're going to be somewhere in the Dallas area, please let me know. Because okay. I'd love to see you and break bread. Um, listeners, go be vaccinated. Go get boosted. Be good to each other because that's the only way we're going to get through this. Thank right. you, Randy. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Thank you. I want and need your feedback. You can reach me multiple ways that tell me what you like or don't like about the show. You can reach out to give me guest suggestions or maybe to join me on the podcast yourself. We're on Twitter at SetLustingBruce or at DFW. I have an Instagram, SetLustingBruce or Jesse Jackson DFW. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash setlustingbruce. Go to patreon.com slash setlustingbruce to find out how you can support the show. And we have several tiers of support. Please go to your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. And tell a friend about the podcast because that is the way we're going to grow. If you're not tired of hearing me speak, you can hear me on Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, where Charles Skaggs and I talk all things Doctor Who, the How Many podcast, where me and my friends Gary, Scott, Bob, and Jr. talk pop culture, and finally, my newest podcast, The Last Best Hope for Conversation, a Babylon 5 podcast, where Karen, Lou, and I are going through the TV show Babylon 5 one episode at a time. I am always looking for guests, so please reach out to me, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You just heard the fun talking 
hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.